You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello, and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 55, for Monday the 20th of March, 2017. My guest today is Avril McDonald, who grew up in New Zealand, trained as a primary school teacher, then became a managing director of a digital entertainment company in London. A desire to create beautiful characters and stories that help kids manage tough emotions and feel brave led her to develop feelbrave.com. This project also has a charitable arm at friendsoffeelbrave.com, which has the vision to give all children access to tools to help them manage tough emotions and reach their true potential. Avril signed her first deal with Crown House Publishing and released five children's books plus a teaching guide in June 2016. When I spoke to Avril for the podcast, I asked her where the inspiration for Feel Brave came from. Well, I've always had a burning desire to create things ever since I can remember. So I wanted to be a musician when I was younger and I've always performed and written songs and music. And um, But as a child, I also grew up with anxiety. I had my first panic attack when I was eight years old and that was at a time where no one knew what anxiety was or and no one really even spoke about mental health then. So I was felt very alone as a child. I had really supportive parents and a lot of emotional safety in that respect, but they had no idea what that was either. So it was only in my late teens when my sister was uh, training to be a nurse, she came home with some academic material that explained everything that I'd been talking about for years and years. And finally, there was this um, relief that I wasn't alone and there were actually words that described what I experienced. And so I had this insatiable curiosity then about the mind-body connection and uh, as I, I I trained as a teacher, I did I worked in the Greek Highlands. I had this wonderful sort of decade in my twenties doing lots of things, and then I got into the corporate world. So I never really went down the music track, but I always had that burning creativity desire in there. And then when I had children, and my daughter had a nightmare, I I managed to uh, work out how to how to help her very quickly just through all of the techniques that I'd learned in managing my own anxiety and it was a kind of epiphany moment for me where I thought oh great maybe I can connect all my dots I can bring in my creativity um, all of my business experience now that I have to try and then bring this idea to life to create characters and stories to help children manage tough emotions because I love the likes of Tony Robbins and techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy and neuro-linguistic programming. And I always used to think, why aren't we teaching this to kids? So it was sort of a, a connecting of all the dots of all of my passions and my experience and what I wanted to do. That's sort of where it was all born. It's, yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, from my childhood, you'd have been encouraged to just grin and bear it and get on with it uh, rather than actually given any coping mechanisms. And I've had experience of anxiety with, with uh, wider family members too. And I know it can be pretty debilitating if you experience it, if you have a panic attack. Could you just, just talk us through what we mean by anxiety? Because I think unless you've had first-hand experience of it, people don't really understand what, it's, what it is and how bad it can be. Yeah, I guess I've never really had to explain it to other people that, that much. Um, but I would probably explain it as being the... <laughs> 
all of a sudden, the one thing you think you can count on, which is your mind, you can't count on it anymore. It sort of lets you down and you feel you can feel like you're dying and you're relying on your mind to sort of say something, do something, handle this, but it's not. And, and for me, it sort of feels like you have all these physical sensations, uh, like a numbness, tingling. So all of these things are going off in your body. And for me, it's like I explain it as like spaghetti junction in my head, like I'm having so many thoughts. It's like a, well, it is a chemical overload. So it's like circuit sort of, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a circuitry breakdown. Mm. And it's it's awful. And even though I have lived with it and I've had them, I know what they are. I know how they work. They can still at any time just surprise you. So even when you think you've got a hold on them, they can surprise you. So what I've learned, though, is that in order to help bring yourself out of them, You've got to actually practice techniques. You can't just sort of have a technique that you've got up on the wall that you go and refer to. You've got to practice them so that outside of panic attacks and anxiety, so that when you are in a situation where you're feeling quite overwhelmed, you've practiced the techniques enough that you've got the sort of cognitive memory and muscles all in place to help bring you out of it. So it's, it's just a sort of overwhelming feeling of being out of control. And so how does this translate then through to, to children? Because I guess as an adult, you can articulate it. As a, as a child, you're very caught up in the experience, like a, an irrational nightmare, for instance, or a, or a fear of something in the cupboard. Yeah, so part of the work that I wanted to do, that I do when I'm in schools now, and that I talk about a lot when I'm talking to parents or that I write about, is to teach children as early as possible about about their brains, so that... Because if I knew when I was eight that I had an old brain and a new brain and that my old brain was like a cheeky monkey and my new brain was like a wise owl and that my old brain would react at times but it could be trained by the, the wise owl, then that would that would have made a lot of sense to me. And so we're never too young, I don't think, to to learn about our brains. And when we know about our brains, then it just makes sense. You know, if someone said to me when I was younger, don't worry, you're, you're just having a chemical overload, it's just your brain, it'll pass, and breathing tells your mind things are okay, so let's do this, you know, that, that would have helped. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to teach children about their brains as soon as possible, because they do get it, they get it when you talk in those terms, because I do it now, and I say to them, just yesterday I was at a school, and I, I introduced the characters, the actual, I bring out the first prototype characters that we made. And before I bring out the cheeky monkeys, I say, oh, you know how it sometimes feels like there's cheeky monkeys in your brain? And when your mum says, don't jump on the bed, the cheeky monkeys say, go and jump on the bed. And they all go, yeah, they know straight away. They get it. It's not that hard for them. So I think that really helps. And I wish I'd had that. Okay, so this grew out of uh, personal experience. You've been a primary school teacher too. So I guess that put you into the zone. You understood what, well, as a parent too, understood what made children tick. And then you were a managing director of a digital entertainment company. So always with those creative leanings, when did this then move into creating the first Feel Brave product? So I started about six years ago when my daughter had the nightmare. And I, she had a nightmare about a monkey jumping on her back. And then I knew 
quickly what to do with that. We talked about it because the nightmare is real to them. You can't just say it's not real. It's just a nightmare. It is real to them. So I got her to tell me her story, and then I did a cognitive behavioral therapy technique called reframing, which is when we then made up a new story about her dream. So in the new story, the monkey jumped on her back. She she brushed it off her shoulder. She looked down. It was tiny, and she picked it up. It had big, cute eyes, and it was just lonely, and it wanted to be her friend. And she played with it, and then she kept it in her pocket, and it became her friend forever. And she wanted me to tell that story over and over and the nightmare went and we still do that sometimes and even my son now will say oh I dreamt about this how can I change that what can I do with that and we play around with it until it's funny so um, uh, so that's that's how we sort of that's where the initial idea came from and, and from that also at the time I was walking to work listening to Tony Robbins and he does he does this thing um, I mean he's quite he's quite out there so he might not be the UK cup of tea it depends on what you like but I really like his approach and he has this thing that he does in the mornings it's like a little 15 minutes of power that you do so I used to listen to it and it was a um, a gratitude exercise where he gets you to think of all the people you love and by the time I'd get to work I'd be in an amazingly positive state because the brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined so when you think about all the people you love and the things you love it actually sets off these chemicals you know um, dopamine and all the good things in you so I was thinking, how can I teach this to my kids? So I made up a poem, and in the poem, we get all the things and the people we love, we put them in a cup and we stir them around and we drink them like a hot chocolate. So I'd already started playing around with these ideas of how to bring these strategies that I had learned to my own children at a very early age, and that's where the stories, and I thought, okay, let's make some characters. So I asked my girlfriend to make some prototype characters, but that was all about six years ago. So in prototype characters then, you're talking about sketches, are you? Di- diagrams, things she like drew, that. She uh, drew. So I said I need a wolf, a cat, some monkeys, and she's really creative. So she she made some sketches and then she actually made some prototypes out of scraps that I still have. And I take into schools and the children just love them because I introduce when – I, when I do a Feel Brave author visit, I start by talking about Maggie's nightmare and what we did with it and that – we then thought, let's make some characters to help other children, and I show them the first characters, and they love them because they're very homemade and something really special about them. They weren't perfect, so but they had an essence about them. So from those characters, because initially the idea was we were going to photograph those characters, and the first book that I wrote and self-published was um, – it was a sort of like a recipe book for parents and children, but it was totally wrong, and because, you know – you may or may not know in the industry, in the publishing world, they say it's an author's third or fourth book that usually gets published. So this was my <laughs> yes. first book. And the reason they say that, as I've now learned, is that because it takes a bit of practice to get it right. And the first one was really wrong because I learned that it's it's not a good idea to try and create a book for adults and children. It's quite confusing. Um, I don't know who's ever done that effectively. I have to I'll try and find that, but um, I haven't found that yet. So, so those first characters we were going to photograph, but then I – constantly asked for advice and opinions and I was constantly talking to children and showing children things and the feedback was that they weren't right so I went and tried to find illustrators um I had managed to sign with a literary agent even though they still didn't really get me um one of them got me and signed with me she actually introduced me to a designer and I had her draw some characters but they just weren't right in my heart, and I found some other illustrators. So I played around with that on with People Per Hour, um, the online sourcing um, platform, and then um, 
I found I went back to those original characters. They just had an essence about them. And then I managed to find Tatiana, who became the illustrator of the Phil Brave books. And she was able to then take the photographs of the characters, take my other briefing, and then add her magic and then create the sort of next evolution of what they were. So it's really nice for children because I have the prototypes and then I show them how they evolved into the storybook. And actually now Orsa, my girlfriend who's in New Zealand, who created those first characters, has now remodeled and made new characters. And we were just in Stockholm two weeks ago because she was on holiday in Stockholm and a couple of international schools flew me over to go and do Feel Brave visits. Um, we showed the children the new characters and they couldn't keep their hands off them. So it's really exciting because they're just there's something magic about them and they're even better now. I'm really interested to hear how you managed to manage to land a literary agent before you actually I think before you actually had a product. I mean you had demonstration models didn't you at that stage? Yeah, I had I had um I think I'd written yeah, I'd written the second book. So I'd moved away from the first book with the characters and the, the sort of recipes, the adult book for children that children didn't know if it was for children, adults didn't know if it was for adults, and some people thought it was a cookbook. So then I'd moved on from that, and I had created a story trying to – because I initially started with poems. I had a poem for each character and for each strategy, and so I had these five poems, but then I found a literary agent who signed me and – they sort of got they got the idea, but not fully, because it was a little bit ahead of its time at that stage, because this we're talking about three or four years ago, three years ago, just before, you know, mental health for children has really exploded recently, especially with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge being official patrons of some charities and mental health and being quite open about it. So at that time, it was still a bit ahead of its time. So, but they kind of got something about it. And then the agent that signed me sort of said, oh, you need to maybe weave these poems into a story. And I had been um, in global um, digital entertainment company. I had been networking. I'm a massive connector, so I have a huge network, and I really am big on asking for help. I think it's the most important thing on how to ask for help, how to find the right people to help you. In fact, I'm just really enjoying writing a book at the moment um, on how to get a publishing deal and what to do if you can't because I now get asked for help all the time and I've been given so much help myself that there's obviously an itch to scratch there and I've got so much information I realized I was repeating myself so I've put it into a book but um, I had made some really good contacts at Penguin Random House and I was meeting with all of the top people so they knew it wasn't right but they did like the idea so they were helping me navigate the whole journey and I think I actually heard a collective sigh of relief when I finally did get a publishing deal because I was, I was on everyone's backs. <laughs> I think they were so <laughs> sick of me. But I just had such a strong vision. I just didn't know what it looked like and I didn't know how to do it. So it's that whole growth mindset thing. I was really determined to get there. I just wasn't there yet. And all of these people helped me. So at one point, Random House, all the top people there sat with me in a board meeting and said, it's it's a great idea, but you have to have stories that stand on their own two feet. It can't just be these poems. You actually need to have a story that stands on its own. And that really then pushed me into thinking, God, I've actually got to write a proper book. I've really got to write a story. And then the poem split off and I then realized I, I should have one central character, not the five characters. So the wolf became the central character. I've, I've came up with the idea that they lived, they played in treehouse and then I could use those five different strategies for 
for the five maybe different stories. And then I finally met Crown House at the London Book Fair. I hadn't approached them before because I they weren't on my radar as a children's publisher, but they were looking at that time for an author, author who could really cross over between education and um, mainstream. And so, and they also saw my background and my determination. They knew that I was really going to drive it as a business. So it was just the perfect marriage. And then they were actually the ones that said, hey, why don't you write five books? Let's do a series on each of those topics because it's very sort of it crosses really nicely with the education system, like self-confidence, anxiety, change, loss, and grief, worries and calming down, social tolerance. So that's how it all then manifested into, okay, I've now got a book deal. They want five books. This is perfect. It's all just been sitting out there. And then I really just could drive at home and, and push out the five books. You see, why this interests me in particular is because it seems to me that people are investing in you as a person and as a plan before they've even got a whiff of your writing. Definitely. Yet. And and that's why I've been really enjoying writing this book that I'm writing about how to get a publishing deal. And I'm going to self-publish it because I haven't – I self-published that first book. I did that through Book Baby many years ago. And I'm going to now actually have a go at self-publishing through Create Space, you know, just to go through the process just for fun. It's really just a fun project for me, this book, because simply so many people now ask me the same questions. So I just thought I should make a book because it's probably going to help loads of other people too. And I wish I'd had that book. And I have a very straight up approach, a very sort of typically New Zealand um, straight up, <laughs> excuse me, practical approach to everything I do. So, but yeah, part of the main message in that book is Roughly sort of 2% of authors will make any decent money from a book they write. So it's good to know that up front. I think you definitely do have to have um, – be really uh, – what is it called? Have some – be optimistically delusional because I have been. Mm. I think you need that because if I'd known how hard it was, it, it, well, it really probably would have been quite a barrier. So, But you, you do have to – even if you get a publishing deal, unless you push it and – pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you won't get it out there. And, you you know, you've got to make a business out of it yourself if you want to make money. So, and actually in November last year, October, November last year, I actually turned it into a business finally after six years and probably about 50 grand investment myself. Okay, I'm gonna, there's a lot to delve into <laughs> there. Uh, so let, let, let me take you first to self-publishing, if, if I may. Um, that first experience on Book Baby, how, how was it? Did, did you know what to do? Was it intuitive? How, how did that work for you, that first self-publishing experience? No, I didn't know what to do and I was really scared and I'm still quite scared about trying to do this create space thing but if there's one thing I've learned through my journey is that if you just put your head down and do one step at a time and you'll get there so with book baby it kind of looked really simple to me and it was simple and I had a designer at the time and I just said to him hey okay I think I need an epup um, and, it, and it was it's difficult to self-publish a children's book with graphics but luckily he just made he was able to make up that epup file for me and then I just sent it in and uploaded it, and they did it. So Book Baby, I thought, were great. But at the, that was um, probably five, six years ago that I did that, and a lot's changed since then. So I would actually be really scared of trying to self-publish my own children's book. But I did get to a point where I had so many no's from all of the publishers 
that I then had decided, okay, I'm going to do this myself. I can do this because I know I've been able to build my my own career up to managing director of a global digital entertainment company. I can do anything. So I'll just work it out. And it was then, though, that I met Crown House right at the moment where I was then saying, hey, I'm going to publish these myself, but I'm probably looking for a distributor. So I was I, I was really scared of self-publishing, but I did it easily through Book Baby. I thought they were great. But now, because I want to get my new book on Amazon, I'm going to try Create Space. And I've got a friend who's quite successfully self-published a lot of books um, on Create Space, and he recommended it, So, and I trust him. So I thought, I'll give it a go. But yeah, I don't know how to do it at all. I'm going to be learning the process as I go with Create Space. Well, you'll be pleased to hear that it is very easy. And that the worst thing is, is just getting the text formatted. It's all pretty easy to do and to, to sell. Are you good to get into ISBN numbers and things like that? Will you get your own ISBN or will you go for a, because um, Create Space assign you an ISBN or you can get an official one that uh, will allow you to go into bookshops if you want yeah, to? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still deciding on that one. I'm just at the point of editing it or getting it edited, which Again, I think is another bit, one of the biggest messages I would put out there to anyone self-publishing is to get an editor and make sure it's edited. There's nothing worse than seeing a book that's got a mistake in it or, or even just to have someone really challenge you on your ideas. And, you know, editing's, I noticed when I was doing the traditional publishing route and I had the editor, that's hard sometimes because children's books and I write in verse, it's so um, creative and you're so precious about it but for something like the teaching guide that I published as well was Crown House it was so great to have an editor to help me with that and I just thought I'd never do this on my own definitely get an editor I guess it's a steady hand to guide you through the, all the, the the minefield of mistakes that you can oh, make yeah, and you get so close to your work you just don't see it but also um, you can just get so precious about your own work it, it takes a lot to actually stand back and what do they say? Kill your darlings if you have to, because um, it's quite, it's really personal. So yeah, the the editorial side is really important because I'm not that great on specific detail. So, and, it, and it's nice not to feel so lonely about your work too. It's really nice when someone comes and talks, gets to know your work and can talk to you about it. You feel like you're suddenly not alone because it's a really lonely journey. When you had the self-publishing experience, what did you do to market that first book. Did you know anything about marketing at that stage? Um, not really. I hadn't. I, it was really just a test. I, in my um, optimistic, delusional state, thought, oh, once it's out there, it'll just sell. <laughs> but it doesn't. <laughs> and even when you get a traditional publishing deal, it doesn't just sell. You have to go and, you have to go and build it and build your tribe. And um, so at that point, I was really just dabbling. I was trying to still get the product right. So I think in the back of my head, I knew it might take some time. And it was it was really a prototype for me to start talking to publishers with. So I, I hadn't sort of thought, right, I'm going to just go steamroll ahead now and get this out into the world. I think it was more, I'm going to try and see if I can get a publishing deal with this. I think that many aspiring authors think that once you've got a publishing deal, um, that's it, game over. All I've got to do is just sit back and, and knock the books out and the rest will be taken care of. But you're painting a very different picture. You you say you've got to do a lot of the work yourself. So what do you have to buckle down and do? Um, yeah, you do. And I've spoken to just recently an author in the same field as me and she's just published and, and she was so relieved to hear that it doesn't 
does just happen for everyone as well. She thought it was just happening to her. Um, unless you're already an established brand or name or you have a big audience already, it's all about business decisions from a publishing perspective is that how much do they invest in you? Because a lot of the authors that a traditional publisher will bring on board actually never break even. I mean, I think it's easy to sort of think, because I initially did think that all publishers were scary, they were all very old school and seemed quite nasty <laughs> with their nose all the time, but it's a business and and I know business because I've been in business and I've, I've had business, I've had to go through when Apple and Google came along, go through actually losing all of the business. So I've been through really hard times in business. I understand it. And publishers are in the same boat. It's a really tough business for them. So they have to be really careful on what they invest their marketing in. So for me, um, my publishers did have a marketing budget. For me, they they've, they saw the potential, but you, it, you have to work together on it. Otherwise, it won't work. So for example, me going out in schools now, now I've built my own commercial business around this. I'm now confidently purchasing 500 books in a month that I know I'm going to sell from my own work. And that's just a huge, that then helps organic growth with the other global sales. Because um, if you look at all the press I got uh, in July, August last year when we launched the books, it was great. I mean, I was across every media type in New Zealand. I was on Breakfast News. I had Two of the leading channels over there follow me into schools here with their foreign correspondence. They put me on the news twice in one day. I was on the morning breakfast show. I was in all the newspapers. I was on radio. And I was on, in America, Forbes, um, Huffington Post, uh, podcast, a really good podcast over there. In the UK, I've been in the glossy magazines. But it wasn't converting to sales. It takes – people can look at your work and think it looks wonderful and that you're getting great press. But – that doesn't mean sales. The sales come from what I've learned from people actually getting it. And and an example of that is a girlfriend of mine who's been so supportive in New Zealand throughout my whole process. You know, all of my friends know this journey I'm on, but they they don't actually get it until they need it. So she texted, she Facebooked me the other day. I just arrived in Paris on a holiday and she said, my son's having nightmares. He's he's dreaming that all the animals are um, killing him, <laughs> our pets. And so I said, oh, okay, um, tonight, just get him to imagine the most ridiculous thing about them. Like he shoots them with laser guns. He throws green slime over them. And so she went and tried it. And the next day she said, oh, my God, it worked. He went to bed laughing. And that's the strategy that's in the wolf and the shadow monster. But until someone needs it and sees, oh, this actually works and then recommends it to their friend, they don't just sell. There's a whole new level that you've got to get to. And for me, that's going into schools. I present to sometimes 500 children at once and I'll sell 150 books in a school on that day. And then they'll go home and they'll plead with their parents to get them. The, you know, that's the mark. That's what you have to do. You have to be out and present because to make that buying decision, it's just a whole new trigger that's needed to happen. And it doesn't necessarily come from great press or marketing. Uh, you are, interestingly, the second author who's come on this podcast. Uh, episode 32, Edward Treyer, was the other author. You might be interested to listen to his interview. Oh, I will. But he, well, he's, he's just like you. He's do, he, he is selling uh, all of his books through school visits, and he's selling a shed load of books through school visits. And he doesn't do he doesn't give anything away for free. You know, all these traditional marketing techniques that a lot of people in self-publishing do, doesn't give them away for free. He just does those school visits. He does a great show uh, for the for the kids and he shifts them by the bucket load but it's quite hard work that isn't it to that 
being on that treadmill. It is because you've got to get, uh, you know, schools have to believe in you. They ha- you have to be really credible. And I'll say that that's when all that, that press um, comes to fruition. So that press initially doesn't mean sales initially, but what it means is when a school looks at my website, they immediately see that I've written for mainstream press, I've written for really prestigious educational publications and the credibility's there. So it doesn't amount to nothing. It all comes to play, but it just it comes in and rewards you at different times. So, but yeah, it is really hard work. And we, t- t- well, I'm taking a really strong focus on this. I've got a girlfriend of mine who's now doing um, global marketing and communications. We have a really structured, disciplined sales and marketing approach where we've got a list of 25,000 schools where really targeting them differently. We're doing lots of tests. I listen to these great podcasts from American entrepreneurs. There's just, I don't know why they're American, they just are, but um, people like Jay Abraham, who does The Ultimate Entrepreneur, um, or Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, they give me these great ideas on how to creatively market and and sell things. And so we're testing all the time, testing different emails, testing different subject lines. My publishers are really supportive. We've just done a um, direct mail out with a to 200 schools with a sample book, but we're trying f- the five different books across five different boroughs, and we we really have a methodology. Metho- I can't say it. <laughs> Method- <laughs> methodology. Yeah, no, methodical, methodical, very methodical, methodical approach. And this is all of the business disciplines that I've learned in my own experience to have this sales and marketing plan. And so we're getting, I'm now seeing, yeah, between 10 and 15 schools a month. And I hope to keep that up because that's how I'm getting out there. And what's really great now is I'm I'm getting enough exposure and credibility to be invited to speak. So I've just been invited um, this week to speak at the Telegraph Festival of Education, which is a hugely prestigious event to go and speak at. I've just been um, invited to go to a conference in Brussels with all of the international schools, early educators. So it's events like that that then trigger people to make the buying decision, say, okay, let's get her into the school. Because it's not just I'm not just an author visiting either. I'm demonstrating this sort of innovative pedagogy and emotional health. I'm demonstrating new and different ways to teach children how to manage tough emotions without it being a huge academic new manual that teachers have to try and squeeze into their already overcrowded day. So I'm hopefully going in and offering a really great solution as well as giving the children a really entertaining hour and that they go away with some key strategies. And that teaches from the teaching guide. In the back of the teaching guide, we've put a CD-ROM, and it's got all of the illustrations from the books. And each chapter in the guide is based on each of the five books. So teachers, I'm sort of not giving them a fish. I'm going in with the idea to teach a school how to fish so that they can do exactly what I've done in the author visit with all the exercises and games that then help reinforce the strategies in each of the books. I'm scribbling down notes here because I don't want to forget things. I want to pick up things that you've said. I think the first thing I just want to mention is that um, you said that press doesn't equal direct sales, but it does create what I call expert positioning so that when people actually go to check you out, to a certain extent, you look bigger than you are. You look amazing because you've been on TV and radio and things like that. Now, I worked for the BBC for for, for nearly 20 years. And when local authors used to come in, I think they used to think they'd be on the radio and that was it. They'd do the interview and that was it. They'd be a multimillionaire by the end of the week. Oh, me too. And I thought that too. Definitely. It doesn't happen, does it? So you've got to get realistic expectations about the press. But you are very sure it pays dividends in the long run to do the press. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It does. It's um, it's it's given me that credibility 
and and just practice because it takes practice to get good at interviews as well and to to be able to and when I say get good at interviews I mean in order to find your voice so in order to be really able to give your message across it takes practice and that only comes through doing so it's really good to just start and writing too you know I've written loads of articles and initially I was quite scared of that but now I can you know I'm quite happy to write articles and and um, yeah you learn through doing it so it's it's good you've just got to practice and so as soon as you can get pressed no matter what it is just start practicing and one of the things that really strikes me when I go to your website and, and I want to really dig into the business side of this all now is you're not and I put this in in air quotes just an author you're really running a serious business here and you've got really high quality well-produced videos here you've got this wonderful list of places that you've appeared you've already mentioned this you know the Huffington Post Forbes uh, you know good housekeeping and this instantly when we come on your page this instantly I think makes you stand out from the crowd as something quite different and very high quality. That's all intentional, I take it, on your part. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, because you only have a few seconds to prove yourself to people that hop on that website and have a look. And for me now, what I'm finding is that it's really clear. Initially, we wanted to create, we meaning the publishers and I, wanted to create a book that would go in the mainstream and be educational. And we didn't know when we first launched if mainstream would immediately take off. But my publisher's gut feel was that we would find our audience through schools, and they were right. And um, so we tried both, and I managed to get an M in foils on Charing Cross Road and Piccadilly Circus Waterstones. So I've done a few events with Waterstones and things. But the bookstores, they don't really get it yet. And and how can they? Because they, they have so many books. They don't – I think it's only going to go big in the mainstream – when I build up enough of an audience through the school. So it's pretty clear now because it's all learning, serve and return to, to sort of learn. I've learned that definitely schools are my way in and I love being in schools. Uh, I had hoped that initially it would just go boom in the mainstream, but it actually just doesn't work that way. You've got to be present and be out there and build your tribe and your audience. <clears throat> so that's through schools. So I'm doing that now. But for me, what I've found or what I'm finding, I think, is the most credible thing that then makes schools actually just book. I got a booking the other day without a school even speaking to me. So just from the website, boom. And that was a really good sign because it means the website's giving enough credibility. But just two weeks ago, um, I was invited to become, or Feel Brave, was invited to become an official patron of the Westminster Children's University. So I'm going out there tomorrow to a school. It's basically a, a, an international trust or foundation where schools come on board and they create this little mini university for children and the idea is to inspire them to aspire to have these aspirations and, and to go to university one day and be more than they think they can be. So we're going to be building Feel Brave into their program. They get they do these 30 hours of extracurricular things and they get stamps and then they graduate and it's um, it's really exciting and I'm talking to two other leading UK mental health charities, one of which even mentioned they're keen for me to do a bespoke book for them, which would be amazing, and another one for me to run a pilot with them. So it's it's those types of things for me that I think are really going to make it pop because as soon as you start getting that credibility and, and speaking at events like the Festival of Education, then Schools know you're really serious, and also the big thing for me has been the references. So if you go on my website and look at the references, 
there are clinical psychologists around the world who are just praising my work as nailing it. So being able to really speak to children and and that all of my work is based on sound psychological research. So that's just taken a while to build and I'm still building it and I build it all the time. But that's what then will trigger a school deciding to get me in and for then then children want to, and parents want to buy the books. Yeah, it really is instant credibility when you read through your website. One of the other things you said earlier on is that um, you, you put a number about 50,000 of, of your own money into this project. And I, again, I'm really interested in this because many authors think, oh, it's just about writing the books. But actually what you're showing is this is about building a business and you've got to be all in with this. Yeah, and that 50,000 is really just in cold, hard cash. That's not counting my time. So for the last seven years... Um, the last three years, I ha- I left the corporate world. So for the first three or four years, I was funding it from my own um, salary. But um, so that's just in cold hard cash. So the last three years, I haven't worked. So that's not even counting my own time and efforts. But I've done everything myself pretty much. So I built the website. I love Wix.com. I think they're fantastic. Such a great platform to build a website with because I, I just couldn't get WordPress. I just it just didn't work for me. But Wix was just so intuitive. So I have just so many good things to say about them. And um, I just did it as lean as possible. But yeah, I've worked on it myself and just built it up. So, um, but it is a, yeah, it's, I've always thought of it as a business and how can I turn it into a business. Um, but it takes, the, the, the 50,000, I guess, to break it down was I did a lot of research and development. So I did that first book that was wrong. So I ended up, you know, I had to pay for the designer. I, I, I had to sort of pay for certain things that I just couldn't do to pull it all together. And then every publisher, traditional publisher said no. And I still didn't really have a book. So it's sort of like unsurprising that they did say no, but, um, I did need to write the stories and, um, but I didn't know yet if the characters and things were right. So then I, because I had no's, one of my good friends said to me when I was really down in the dumps, yeah, but it's not just a book, is it? You're creating a whole brand. So why don't you try some merchandise and, you know, so try the other things. So I then invested in some T-shirts and clothing just with the new characters. Once I would found Tatiana and she'd redesigned the characters and, and I had a lovely, really great designer, Nicola Rollins, who's up in Manchester, who created the the logo and branding so then I tested that so I did a lot of research and development that's really where that money's gone I guess and getting the product right and then building the first book I had to pay for that and then I finally got the publishing deal after I'd done that first book and then there was still some more investment to make in in bringing everything else together but that's that's kind of how it looks and it doesn't have to be that much it's almost like I guess along my journey at each junction when it was time to spend more money there were enough key signs to show that the investment might pay off one of the other things you've done that isn't typical for authors is you've had to register trademark with this as well which uh, i've also had an experience of this it's another minefield that you have to navigate How, how did you find that process yeah so i have done that myself initially but i've got a really great lawyer um copyright lawyer who has is really nice actually through a friend and he has been giving me advice on how much i need to do at what point in my journey because you don't want to be outlaying thousands of pounds trademarking a brand when you're not actually making the revenue yet so we're taking baby steps each step as my business grows so at the moment I've got enough to give a bit of cover and then as I grow I'll get more and more cover because you can do it quite easily through the internet but it's never a thorough cover so if you're really serious but it depends on again it's serve and return the more 
my business grows, the more I'll protect. So the more I'll need to invest in my protection. But you don't want to be doing that too early because if there's one thing I've learned, it's, you know, when I did the merchandising, I expected it to be bigger than it was. So I spent a lot of money setting up when I should have actually done that smaller and leaner. So I've learned that and I'm doing that now with things like registering your trademark. You can do a certain amount to give yourself enough initial cover and then you just grow as your business grows and get more cover as you go but just get a good copyright lawyer for that because the minute you register that trademark if i if i remember correctly i did it a few years ago you then start to get messages from the states and things like that talking about you know um, covering other territories and then uh, before you know it you've opened this can of worms and it was much more complicated than you ever thought it was yeah that's why it's good to just have a good copyright lawyer just to give you the right advice and then then you can you know it's it's um sort of uh, you just manage the risk all the time. Absolutely. The, the way you're talking about your business is uh, like a software. I've had some software building experience. And in software, you kind of test the premise as you have. You, you've got to build the working model to make sure there's a market there before you sink all your savings yeah. into it. And then you you iterate. Uh, and, and that's what you're doing. You're, you seem like you're constantly iterating within your business. Yeah. And I learned so much from my business experience because I was in software and sales in the content industry. So um, software and solutions, basically. And so I had to learn as a business, as a salesperson, how to sell things that weren't built yet and then how to build them without people realizing that you hadn't even built it yet. <laughs> because Absolutely. in the digital world, yeah, you but- have to do it that way. Otherwise, you're left behind. Yeah, so I learned that, and that's really helped me just cross all the bridges of doubt in this journey when I didn't know how it looked. But So I'm always sort of a few jumps ahead of myself, which sometimes is scary, but I think that, that you have to do that if you want to be ahead of the game and, and just get things out there into the world. Now, you've, you've done a couple of, again, very different things for an author, but they're all about business building. One of the things I noticed is you've been on Kickstarter and you've run, uh, it looks like it was a, a successful, it was a successful Kickstarter campaign. Can you talk me through where that came from, why you did it and how it worked? Yeah, I had been thinking about doing a Kickstarter campaign for a while, but I just wanted to make sure it was the right thing. So when I got my publishing deal, that was a good story to then tell, which would give credibility to the brand for me to then try and run a Kickstarter campaign to raise £5,000 to build the Feel Brave app. So I had wanted to build the app um, just to sort of have something that could go into schools and and I thought this was a good opportunity now because I've got something to shout about. I've got a publishing deal. So I, I ran a Kickstarter campaign to build the Feel Brave app and um, we reached our target on day five of the campaign and, and I ended up exceeding it. So I went for 5,000 and I ended up having 6,300 pounds, which enabled me to then build the um, emotion cards, which are these beautiful physical cards that I then had Tatiana illustrate. So that obviously cost money in her time to, to make them. So it was really successful, but I will say, and I've spoken, I've been invited to speak about that Kickstarter campaign and how to run a successful one. But I will say, I got all of that money through my networks. I didn't run a Kickstarter campaign that went, into some sort of tipping point where the public just start rolling and it starts going really viral. So I can't talk about that. But what I learned from that process and what I talk about when I'm asked to speak about is just the power of your connections and the power of being able to ask the right questions to get what you need and getting people to help you. 
Yeah, I'm pleased you said that because I, you know, you hear about these Kickstarter campaigns. Do you think, well, how the heck have they got all that money from people they don't even know? But you went to your network. And the other thing I notice about your page, which is an excellent example of a page, is that um, you de- with Kickstarter, you need to have a lot of really good and attractive rewards for people at different funding levels. And you've got a lot of uh, rewards there. And actually, they all feed beautifully into the brand. Could you just talk me through how you structured the pledge the pledges of the rewards for that campaign. Yeah, it was actually I mean those rewards were all the merchandising that I couldn't sell, but that but that was still <laughs> so in actual fact a lot of my funding, if you like, was really helped by the initial investment I'd put into the merchandising. So it was sort of almost like a, a recall on some money that I'd previously invested in something that didn't sell, but that had proven to me that the brand was right. So, so yeah, I was just, I had some really nice rewards then and people really liked them. And what I liked the most as far as rewards go, which I think is quite key, is some rewards for, for say, £100 were to then be, um, become one of the characters in the, in the story or in the emotion cards. So there were people that would pledge and then they'd become an emotion. Uh, so they'd be drawn as a character. And, and the, I like those sort of, those sort of rewards where you actually then become a part of the the organisation and the branding and the story and the journey. Yeah, that uh, fabulous idea. I, I say I love your rewards. I think they're they're fantastic on that campaign. And um, something else you've done, which is atypical of authors, is that you have a charitable wing, Friends of Feel Brave. Now. This is an area I know nothing about, so could you just talk me through where it came from and how that works? Yeah, and I know I knew nothing about it, and I'm still learning. So I always knew. Again, this is just when the vision is strong, but you're not sure what it looks like. I always had the vision that I would build some sort of um, social enterprise, if you like. I wanted to build something that could demonstrate that you can make make money, and you can make something that makes money that then uh, benefits something else in the in the brand or benefits a charity. So, I my vision has always been to give all children access to these tools, so that hopefully the commercial the people that can pay for it can then help support people that can't pay to get access to it. So I always knew I wanted to get involved in some sort of charitable side. So I just set up. I just went through the process of setting up a, a voluntary – it has to be a voluntary association before it becomes a registered charity. You can only become a registered charity once you get, I think, £5,000 into the char- into the voluntary association. So I've got a really great board. Again, just really great connections of um, really uh, great people in their own areas uh, on the board. And it's there just – I just created it so that if I could then – start something on that side I I could but what's happened actually is that instead of that because I'm still learning to there's fine lines between a charitable arm that's connected with a commercial arm and that can actually probably get quite sticky so I've just been learning as I go on that path but what I'm finding is I'm actually meeting like with the Westminster Children's University just going straight in as feel brave and then becoming a part of that and hopefully I'll do that with the other two organizations I'm involved with so that charitable arm is sitting there, and I've also just recently been asked to be an ambassador at a secondary school with a helping children get projects off the ground. So maybe it'll turn into something quite different, but it'll be, if it does spark up, it'll be something around helping children reach their potential. But it might not, like everything, look as I initially thought it would look. I just put it there as a safety net because I always knew I wanted to have this charitable side that Feel Brave was 
really working towards snowballing and growing. I skipped questions there because I should have asked this question after we were talking about Kickstarter because I wanted to ask you about your app building um, experiences. I know you're an outsourcer already. You've told me you use people per hour. Presumably that was an outsource project? Yeah, I through friends, again, uh, connections. Um, I, I was recommended two companies that build apps, but they're actually they're quite simple apps. So I use this company called Udo, and it's actually just a, a PDF that goes in. So it looks like an app, and the interactivity is really quite simple. It's just sound files, and I've just sort of um, – I've made this game within my app that's an emotion game, and you press a button, and because you have to guess, is it happy, sad, or angry – it's all about naming a feeling to tame a feeling. So you press one button and it says happy and then it goes wah, 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 if it's wrong or you get a, an applause if you get it right. And they're just sound files and, and sound buttons on a PDF. So it's actually at the back end a very simple non-interactive app if you like. It could get bigger but, you know, it costs me um, – about 1500 a year just to run the thing. And my app is not really to make money. My app is really to just go in and support schools and the brand. So when I go into a school and they they buy the education pack, they get the books, they get the emotion cards, and they get unlimited access across all their school tablets to the app because my vision was always that wouldn't it be great if a teacher could be crossing ICT time, the information communications technology time that they do with children with their tablets with PSHE, which is the personal, social, you know, emotional health education. So I, that, that was the vision with the app. So the app, I don't, I don't know if the app will ever make any money. Hopefully, it'll pay for itself. But it really is just a more of a, um, a support to all of the, the other educational stuff. Well, the, the little demo on the site looks wonderful. And uh, when you do apps, of course, you then get into the joys of constant um, Android updates and things like that. Have you have you had that lovely experience? Well, yet? they just do it all. So that's part of the maintenance fee, really. So I don't have to worry about that. And because, I think because <laughs> it's so simple, it's really just a PDF in there. It's not, you know, it's not complicated at the back end. And I mean, to build a proper app, you can you can just go crazy with it. So... I think I'll only build a real proper app when the brand gets to a certain level and I've got enough, you know, income to support it and the audience to support it. And then, and then hopefully, you know, we can create something really, really cool. But I, w- I wouldn't enter into that until the business really proves itself. You're very active on uh, social media. Uh, often authors struggle with things like Pinterest and Instagram, but actually you're very strong on both those channels as, as you are on, on the regular channels. But Pinterest and Instagram, I notice particularly, you're strong, whereas most authors aren't. How, how do those channels work for you on a day-to-day basis? Do, 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 do they pay dividends for you? Um, I really actually mostly like Facebook, um, the, hmm. the Feel Brave Facebook page. The Pinterest page my publishers have put together, which is really good because it's just so hard. I mean, in any business, if you want to have a social presence, it's actually you know one full-time man resource per month that you need to do it properly. So I struggle with it, and I'm looking forward to being able to get some help with it um, because it just takes time, and you actually have to commit about an hour a day if you want to do it properly. To be honest, the the Instagram and the Twitter, I probably struggle with the most. Um, I need to keep that updated. I, I just, I'm so busy at the moment because I'm really at a point of transitioning. I'm transitioning into running a business again, thank God, after so long and so much work. I mean, I work really hard. I'm a complete workaholic, and anyone that knows me, 
knows that even even on holidays I'm in my laptop. It's really bad, but I don't think it's really hard not to be like that when you're trying to launch something like I'm trying to launch. I mean, I'm trying to really create a, a global social movement. I'm not doing anything by halves. So I'm really busy and I struggle with social media at the moment, but I try to do my best. But I, I enjoy it because I love – I particularly like Facebook. That's just – sort of the place that I feel most at home with the Feel Brave Facebook page. I like it. I like being able to write the pictures, and do the pictures and the talking, and the, and that's building up quite nicely. Interesting that you described yourself as a workaholic there. Um, often as entrepreneurs, and, and I feel this, that I just enjoy the work so much that actually there's a blurred line between what's work and what's play and just sheer enjoyment. It sounds like you know you have that, that same experience because it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like work, does it, when you enjoy it? Oh, so no, much. I love it. I and, and that's what's difficult is that it's just my passion. I mean, the business side is a discipline that I've learned, and I'm just always trying to do all my jobs on the the business side so that I can do the fun stuff. So, but I do, I mean, there's nothing more rewarding than, than bringing a brand to life and starting to make money. That is, because that's a whole new level of, that's just a whole new platform that you get to because it's one thing to launch a project. It's another to actually make a commercial business. That's really hard. And, and it's the thing that I'm most proud of actually is that I've just started to make, make it, turn it into a business um, because not many people do, and it's really super hard. But, yeah, it's my passion. I love it because it's creative. And um, hopefully the audience can build because this year I really want to do the music. I mean, that's the treat for me is to be able to – and actually yesterday at school, one of the children said, is there music? <laughs> is there, are there songs? I said, oh, hopefully after August because I'm going to get into a recording studio and start playing around with um, – with my muso friends and recording some music and trying it out because then I'll have, you know, a really great audience to test it on. So that's the thing I'm most excited about. So, yeah, I'm addicted to it. I love it. But the tough thing is is to pull yourself away from it because your family gets a bit angry at times with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you, you've done an amazing job and I can see that this thing's just good to grow and grow. Um, projecting five years into the future, where do you want to be? Are you going to be the young people's Tony Robbins, do you think? Could we get to that oh, stage? Oh, I'd love to, yeah. But, um, gosh, that's uh, that's a big – there's some big shoes to fill. Um, I love what he does. I think he's just done amazing things in that I've never even seen the guy in the flesh. I've never been to one of his sem- seminars. I've only ever looked at his books and his, his videos and things, and that yet he can have such an impact. What impresses me most with him is how many homeless people he feeds in America. It's just phenomenal, just the energy and the expansion that he's had from just decoding patterns of effectiveness and modeling them you know it's that whole science of achievement which is that you can pretty much achieve anything in life that you want to you've just got to find someone who's doing it well and ask them for their recipe and that's what all of my work is based on so yeah I mean I've I've, I have conversations with amazing Hollywood producers and it doesn't mean it's going to happen but my work is getting that exposure and everyone sort of gets it so but I've still got to put that groundwork in because no one will do it for you you have to get out and you have to roll your sleeves up. But I love it because I love being in schools. It's just the best. A child the other day in Stockholm, after I'd presented to about 300 children, they were just leaving the auditorium and she just came up and gave me this massive hug. And it was just so cool. It's, you know, just such a magic thing to do when it, when the work you're doing is really authentic. It just has this amazing magic to it. So, yeah, in five years' time, I would love that it's, it becomes a, a, a big global brand, a trusted brand that um, really promotes this innovative learning and emotional health and that, that I can help spearhead 
more of it, more of this sort of entrepreneurial approach to getting emotional well-being into the mainstream where it's fun and simple and that people get it. Because there's never been a more opportunistic time to – we've got all of this technology and we've got all of this science and research. It's just actually how do you translate it to bridge it into the mainstream so that people get it. And that's that's what really sort of fires me up. So, yeah, I want TV. I want to get it everywhere. Lots of different transmedia. And to to build it and, and just share it around the world is the, the goal. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.